Thank you, choir, for coming in a week early to sing that for us this morning. Our worship theme for September is covenant. It's kind of an old-fashioned word, but it's certainly not a new word for church folks. Today I'm going to talk about what a covenant is and is not. I'm going to tell you about a couple of covenants that are special to me. And I'm going to tell you why covenant is integral to my theology and I think to Unitarian Universalist theology in general. If you grew up in one of the Abrahamic faith traditions, you may recall that the idea of covenant was based on promises made by God to his people. God's people, in response to God's promises, were expected to do certain things or behave in certain ways. If you aren't familiar with biblical covenants, perhaps you remember the Indiana Jones movie, The Ark of the Covenant. Harrison Ford took us on all kinds of adventures as he sought to find the Ark, that special wooden gold-plated box that was believed to hold the stone tablets upon which Moses engraved the Ten Commandments dictated by God. So God's promise well, I was promised was, I will be your God, you will be my people, and here's what I expect from you. Although our religious tradition does have its roots in Judaism and Christianity, I'm not really talking about biblical covenants today. As Unitarian Universalists, we actually have a covenant that might have been instrumental in attracting you to this faith. If you became a Unitarian Universalist sometime in the last 35 years, you are familiar with what we call our Unitarian Universalist principles. That's one of our covenants. If you're not familiar with these principles, you might want to turn to the pages just before the first hymn in the gray hymnal. And there you'll see the words, we, the member congregations of the Unitarian Universalist Association, covenant to promote and affirm. And there are seven principles or values that we as members pledge to uphold to the best of our ability. In short, they are the inherent worth and dignity of all, justice and compassion in human relationships, acceptance and encouragement of one another towards spiritual growth, a free and responsible search for truth and meaning, the right of conscience and the use of the democratic process, the goal of world community, and respect for the interdependent web of existence. These principles imply certain kinds of attitudes, behaviors, and actions on the part of UU congregations and their members. But this covenant, these principles that unite us with other member congregations don't tell us what to believe. So they're not a creed. One way to define something is to talk about what it is and is not. I like the Reverend Lisa Ward's distinctions between covenant and creed. She writes, 
A covenant is not a definition of relationship, it is the framework for our relating. A covenant claims, I will abide with you in this common endeavor, be present as best I can in our becoming. This calls for a level of trust and courage and sacrifice that needs to be nurtured, renewed, and affirmed. Reverend Ward continues, a creed creates a static truth. It does not incorporate new insights and realities. A covenant seeks harmony and a shared voice. A creed gives authority to a statement. A covenant gives authority to shared intention. A creed creates an us and them. A covenant invites relationship. A creed is a prescription that must be relied on. A covenant relies on the treasures of shared truth. To Reverend Ward's summary, I would add that shared truth can change and expand over time. To me, covenant is a synonym for vow, promise, or commitment made with solemn intent. A covenant is much like a map to a place we want to get to, but the covenant doesn't tell us which routes to take. We have many choices that point us toward our destination, and we generally have a lot of hope about getting there, and sometimes a few doubts. Covenant is a word that gets used a lot at wedding ceremonies. A couple promises certain things to each other with the intent of creating a long, happy, mutually fulfilling life together. My husband Gary and I first spoke the words of our marriage covenant in 1994 in this sanctuary with Minister Emeritus Dave Weisbart officiating and the choir singing the beautiful anthem they just sang for us under the direction of Kay Hotchkiss. So, we have celebrated this summer our 25th wedding anniversary. So far, so good. <laughs> Just using the word covenant doesn't guarantee that promises made at weddings were done with a, a lot of soul-searching and deep thinking. The Reverend Preston Moore tells a story about one couple who asked him to officiate for their wedding. I'll let you decide whether this couple did a lot of deep thinking and soul searching. Reverend Moore writes, a few years back, in a, couple, a couple in Albuquerque, New Mexico, formalized their wedding, their marriage, with a detailed agreement, had it notarized and filed it at City Hall. It covered weekly allowances, how much to spend on birthday gifts, lights out time in the evenings and wake up time in the morning, and sex. How often to have it, when to use birth control, and when to schedule the births of their children. And then a subject of even greater importance than all of these combined, cars and gasoline. The happy couple undertook to stay one car length behind other cars in traffic and never to let the fuel gauge get lower than half a tank. 
And finally, just to give this masterpiece a nice sepia-toned finish, they declared, we will provide unconditional love and fulfill one another's basic needs. Reverend Moore said, never has the, has the sublime been so pitifully reduced to the ordinary. <laughs> well, let me tell you, Gary's and my wedding vows were nothing like those. The idea and form of covenants originated in ancient treaties. While a covenant is not a creed, it's also not a contract. Some definitions of covenant still include the word contract as a synonym. However, modern day usage in our congregations and elsewhere suggests that other less technical, less legalistic understandings of covenant are more common, especially in religious organizations. A covenant is a pledge, a commitment, a giving of one's word. A covenant is an intentional and solemn vow to do one's best, to live up to certain mutually agreed upon ways of relating. To covenant is to reach toward the sublime. What does it mean then to be in a covenantal relationship? And I'm not just talking about marriage here. What does it mean to be in a covenantal relationship? Well, implicit in any covenant are some understandings. First, we acknowledge that we are human, and by virtue of that fact, we will at times fall short of the ideals we hope to attain. Second, we bear in mind that we are bound by love and purpose. And because we are bound by love and purpose, we do our best to forgive ourselves and each other. We do our best to commit ourselves anew to the covenant when we fall short. To tell you the truth, Gary and I had to work up to the covenant we proclaimed on our wedding day. Tying the knot, so to speak, would mean a second marriage for both of us. The thought of navigating the complexities of combining a family of five children was daunting. So we were cautious. Things were a bit touch and go during the first couple years of our relationship. And for quite a while, we were not 100% sure what we could or wanted to promise one another. We weren't sure when or if we might make a more lasting commitment. So we had a series of covenants that guided us to our wedding day. Let me explain. At the suggestion of Helen Seely, a former member of this congregation, Gary and I sat down together about once a month for a couple of years. Why? To intentionally take stock of our relationship. We set aside time to talk about what each of us wanted and needed, what each of us was able to give, what we could agree upon about our relationship at each of those times. We listened deeply to one another, and we worked out an agreement that carried us through the next month or six weeks to our next covenantal conversation. So we made short-term promises. It was risky business in the service of love. We weren't sure where we'd end up, 
but we used our covenantal review sessions to build trust and to risk sharing our deepest hopes and fears. With open hearts, we committed to exploring and growing together. It was a lot of work. It wasn't always easy work. It still isn't always easy work. But over the course of about three years, we decided to marry, and we made it to that happy day in this sanctuary. The vows that Gary and I made to one another in May of 1994 are understandably special to me. They were taken from words written by Virginia Satir, who some of you will recognize as the mother of family therapy. Virginia wrote and we said the following words. I want to love you without clutching appreciate you without judging, join you without invading, invite you without demanding, leave you without guilt, criticize you without blaming, that's a tough one, help you without insulting. If I can have the same from you, then we can truly meet and enrich each other. Virginia wrote those words to describe what she thought of as an ideal human relationship. I wonder what it would mean for us to try out that model here or elsewhere in our lives. What would it mean to love without clutching, appreciate without judging, join without invading, invite without demanding? Leave without guilt, criticize without blaming, and help without insulting. Gary and I are still working out what some of those things mean in our everyday lives. Our relationship falls short of the ideal on a regular basis, but we keep working at it. And that's the thing about covenants. They describe ideals, not constant realities. Try as we might to be 100% faithful to our word, we humans are promise-breaking creatures. We fail at times. But when we have made a commitment, when we are striving to live in covenantal relationship, we do our best to respond to our own mis missteps and the shortcomings of others with forgiveness. We forgive ourselves and each other and begin again in love, right? Though we've broken our vows a thousand times, we come, yet again come. And we do our best to uphold our end of the bargain, to live up to our ideal, to commit ourselves anew to the promises of right relationship. Now please don't misinterpret what I'm saying. There are times and good reasons for ending a commitment, leaving a relationship. If both parties are not invested in the covenant, or if one or both parties don't have the ability to pursue a healthy relationship with good boundaries, then leaving may be the best thing for all involved. To avoid getting to the point of no return in a relationship, it helps to regularly remember and revisit the understandings upon which that relationship 
was founded. Yes, covenants need to be revisited. They're not necessarily written in stone like the Ten Commandments. Sometimes they need to be revised or at least reviewed. Sometimes we need to talk about what a covenant means to us as time goes by. Just as Gary and I met regularly to consider the promises we made in the years leading up to our wedding vows, we must look at the commitments in our lives and ask ourselves, is this who I am now and how I want to be? Is this still who and how we want to be together? What do these words mean to me, to us, now? And how do I, how do we live out this covenant in our lives at this time? If we don't pause to consider what our covenants really mean in our daily lives, they're nothing more than pretty words. In time, they ring hollow, perhaps like the creed some of us remember experiencing in past religious lives. Words alone can become bland and meaningless recitations that don't inspire us or guide our decisions and behaviors. When I was in Arizona, the Reverend David Piley was, Pyle was one of my colleagues in the southwest part of the country and that district of our association. He told of a time when he learned an important lesson about covenants. He was invited to dinner and Jeffrey, three-year-old Jeffrey, greeted him at the door. And when it was time for dinner, Jeffrey had everyone come in and sit around the dining table, invite everyone to hold hands as his father lit the chalice, which had a place of honor on the center of the dining table. And then Jeffrey looked around expectantly, and Dave and his wife were expecting there to be some sort of grace or blessing. But instead, Jeffrey had them recite this covenant. Love is the doctrine of this family, and service is its law. This is our great covenant, to dwell together in peace, to seek the truth in love, and to help one another. Sound familiar? <laughs> Jeff, Jeffrey's family had adopted a beloved Unitarian Universalist covenant for their personal spiritual family practice. Their covenant was an adaptation of one known and recited in many Unitarian Universalist congregations, believed to be written by Minister James Vila Blake in 1894. The familiar words we say here each week have been arranged and rearranged and adopted as a covenant by many of our congregations for 150 years. These words are very special to me. I've repeated them, our words very similar to them, in countless congregations. And I want to invite you to say them again with me this morning. They're also printed in your order of service, if that's too far for you to see. So let's this time say them slowly and thoughtfully. Love is the spirit of this church 
and reason is its guide. To dwell together in peace, to seek truth in freedom, and to serve human need. This is our covenant. So we join in speaking this covenant every Sunday, reminding ourselves of the beloved community we are called to create here. But how seriously do you take that covenant? Does it give you marching orders for your life and relationships? What would it feel like to say, love is the spirit of my life and reason is my guide? To live with others in peace, to seek truth in freedom and to serve human need. This is my covenant wherever I am and with all those I encounter. How would your life change if you renewed this covenant every day as a personal spiritual practice? Would your life change? How would it be different? Would there be any risks involved, any gains? Would it impact the quality of your relationships if you made our congregational covenant a personal one? And going from the personal back to this community, what about our congregational covenant? What does it mean to be a community of covenant? It means that we are binding ourselves together in relationship, but not just any relationship. We are building and binding ourselves to relationships of trust, accountability, and respect. We are building and binding ourselves to relationships that call us to renewal and wholeness, and yes, sometimes to forgiveness. To be a community of covenant affirms that being human is not about self-serving individualism. While there are times and good reasons for leaving a relationship, as I mentioned earlier, a covenantal community says, we're in this together. Relationships are important. We'll continue to work at keeping our promises to one another, even when someone asks, acts like that pesky pine cone in the story. We will maintain healthy boundaries. We will work on repairing relationships and sticking with them even when things seem difficult because we are working together toward a larger goal, a greater purpose. That is a better and more loving world for me, for you, for everyone. Covenants. Covenants are an integral part of my theology. I believe they're integral to Unitarian Universalist theology as well. Covenants are all about relationship. Process theologians say that relationship is all there is. Reality consists of relationships. Process theology says the creative lure that is the source of life, that love that holds us, is forever calling us to be our best selves, is forever calling us toward our highest potential, toward wholeness and right relationship. It's all about relationship. 
We are connected to everyone and everything in ways we humans are still trying to understand. Here, in this place, and with our covenants, we acknowledge the importance of honoring relationships. We acknowledge the importance of interdependence. Connection, we're in this together. Let's make life be better for all of us. That is our theology. The Reverend Victoria Safford says that our great covenant is the work of intimate relationship with one another, with the holy, with this whole wide world. Let us each take part, take our part, in this work with gladness. Let's sing number 1008 in your teal hymnal or on the screen. In a moment, I'll extinguish our chalice and read our benediction before we sing our closing blessing. You're welcome to hold hands. It's also 
perfectly acceptable to link arms or touch elbows. If you'd rather not be touched, we respect that choice too. Simply cross your arms or put your hands on your shoulders if you'd rather not have physical contact. I'll now extinguish our chalice, but let us carry with us the light of truth, the warmth of community, and the fire of commitment until we are together again. The words of our benediction are from Virginia Satir. I believe the greatest gift I can conceive of having from anyone is to be seen by them, heard by them, understood and touched by them. May we carry this gift of loving relationship with us wherever we go so that we might truly meet and enrich each other. Please join me in singing our departing blessing. Mm -hmm.